I first met Bob Sipaha some 20 years ago at a medical device company, Healthy Tech. He was one of six nutritionists working on indirect calorimetry measures and creating a database of nutritional information, then housed on what we considered cutting-edge technology, a palm pilot. I was reintroduced to Bob in 2005 following his stint at the University of Florida, and I monitored his trajectory based around what would appear to be a fairly simple construct, nutritional periodization for athletes. Fast forward to today, Bob has mastered his craft of metabolic efficiency, applying his data not only to athletes, but to improve the baseline health for all humans. From blood markers to genomic testing, Bob's diagnostic and prescriptive process is second to none. He's an author, coach, and the founder of Baroda Foods and the all-around snack company. But wait, there's more. As an athlete, Bob is one of a few to hold the title Leadman, completing the grueling portfolio of ultra-endurance events all completed in Colorado at over 10,000 feet of elevation. Listen closely as there are nuggets of nutritional and training wisdom here for anyone. Bob, it's phenomenal to catch up with you, buddy. <laughs> oh, Gary, so nice to see you again. This is fantastic. It's It's been a while. I can't believe it's been 20 years since we I... first got together <laughs> at Healthy Tech, right? Golden Colorado, fledgling Golden little Colorado. company. I yep. was telling our producer, Tyler, about the fact that um, uh, I sat in a Outback Steakhouse with a guy by the name of JT Kearney. Yeah, and yep. on a nap- napkin, we rendered this thing called the Energy Balance Equation. You know, this little teeter-totter, right? <laughs> totally. Because we would... Yeah, we're trying to figure out, you know, is calories in, calories out? You know, yes. we'll do a quantitative kind of uh, nutritional analysis. But that's yeah. where we first met. And I remember uh, at that time, I think you were completing your CSCS. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, we both, uh, I depart. I think you were shortly thereafter. Yeah. Uh, we lose track and then get reconnected through my wife. Probably I five know, years right? later, which is I amazing, know. right? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how the full circle just comes through, doesn't it? It is incredible. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about, yeah. I want to dive into your journey a little bit here because yeah. when, as a Performance coach and strength and conditioning coach, the term yeah. periodization was always, you know, it's thrown around like, you know, like, like a wet towel in a locker room, this term, Absolutely. right? And everybody's got a different understanding of it, different utilization yeah. of it. And I never heard anybody apply it to nutrition or fueling yeah. for endurance until I heard you say it. And I, it was one of those moments stopped me in my tracks and I was like, that's brilliant. And it yeah, didn't surprise yeah. me that that you were the one kind of pioneering this. Oh, well, but tell you. me a little bit about that. Where did where conceptually where did that come from? Was it self experimentation yeah. or a thing you were seeing through coaching? It was. You know, it's a great question because it's it's an interesting. You know, I call that you know my fourth child, right? Because this is like nutrition periodization is is literally like I feel like it's one of my kids, one of my babies. Mm-hmm. But it was in the early two thousands, right? And I was working with athletes as an endurance coach, strength coach. And this is what I was noticing. I was noticing that the the other coaches I was working with, 
and myself as a dietitian, and then the athletes, we weren't speaking the same language, right? So when I when I would talk to an athlete, and, and workly mostly with endurance athletes, and you know the crazy ones that do a lot of long long distance stuff, you know I would ask them. I said, you know, what training cycle are you in? And they looked at me like I was crazy. And they're like, why do you need to know that? And they didn't even know what that was, right? But why do you need to know that? I said, well, because I need to fuel properly. Like to me, it just made sense, right? You you come from a strength training background and then you're, you're an endurance coach too. I'm like, well, that just makes sense. So then I would yeah. we get a hold of their coach. I'm like, what training cycle? And the, sometimes like this is way back when, right? That's in, mm. in endurance world, like in the strength and conditioning, periodization is so well known and it has been. In the endurance world 20 years ago, it wasn't really well known as much. Like we knew that we needed to build and recover. That's about it for endurance coaches. But I was noticing the coaches didn't really have a good grasp of what periodization model they were implementing. Mm -hmm. So traditional, reverse, what whatever they were doing, right? It was so all I I mean, literally biasly, I created the nutrition periodization concept because I wanted us all to talk on at the same language on the same page, right? And then that that was my only goal. And then wow. it just blossomed. Like it is literally yeah. as a sport dietitian now, it is the foundation guiding principle. It's kind of my my far north, if you will. Whenever I work with an athlete, I always, always, always start with nutrition periodization, the training load, training cycle, which is kind of, it's it's kind of cool to see the evolution over the past 20 years because now athletes understand it a little bit better. Mm. Uh, mm. They don't grasp it, but they they definitely understand it. So that's yeah. that's kind of where it started, right? Phenomenal journey this is. And I remember the, the times I've worked with athletes, when it came to nutrition, and I was fortunate to marry a, you know, as you know, a brilliant nutritionist and right. someone who's worked in team sports for a long time. And she, yep. I, I, every time I have a question, I would, uh, I defer to her first. Here's yep. what I'm thinking. What do you think? So I always clear it through her. But one of the challenges I always had was getting the construct of nutrition uh, in, in, in the sports I was working into fuel, right? To yes. take it from, it's a socially... Uh, governed or developed system of eating or it's something yep. that I like to I, I'm eating this food because it psychologically fills a hole or there's right. a convenience factor to it right shifting that mindset to fuel uh, was probably the the thing that for me in team sports moved the dime a little bit had people actually thinking what was going into their bodies do you have that same challenge with an endurance oh athlete. absolutely well and i remember when i first you know got out of my my second master's degree was in food science and human nutrition then i did That's my right. registered dietitian internship then you have to take mm. the exam you know that from 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 your wife but i, I yep. remember coming out of that and coming out of my clinical rotation at the hospital as an rd the only thing they teach you and unfortunately still do in this in this day and age is how to feed sick patients to get out of the hospital as quickly as possible, right? So it's a lot of calories, it's a lot of equations. So that's that's what I learned in school. I started applying that, Gary, to athletes, and mm. I was doing some crazy, crazy spreadsheets. Like they were looking, mm. like I'd polish them, colors, like, you know, grams per kilogram, calories, all this stuff. And like, it looked good. I was very proud of myself, right? This, this lasted for about three months, literally three months after I became oh, wow. an official RD because I was giving it to my endurance athletes and they were like, wow, they were enamored. They're like, wow, this is fantastic. And then they'd call me up and they'd be like, uh, you know, I'm at the grocery store. I don't know what this is. Like the plan looks good, 
But, you know, like you're talking about with the fueling, they're like, I don't know yeah. what to buy. I don't know what food you're talking Like, how do I put this food together? Like, all you've told me was these are the quantitative numbers based on my body weight or goals or whatever. That's when the proverbial light bulb went off to me for me. Yeah. And I said, oh, something needs to change. Like this traditionally wow. what, what sport dietitians have done, can I cannot go down that path again um, because wow. it didn't work. And that's when I developed, just like you said, you know, I developed more of an intuitive eating plan. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of quantitative models that I use in the background, yep. but I don't yep. present that to athletes because they just, one, they don't understand it. Two, they likely don't need to understand it, to be honest with you. Right. Um, and because they just need to know, what do I need to do during the day? What do I, how do, what's my nutrient timing protocol? Like what is the biggest bang for my buck? So that, that was kind of my aha moment really. And, mm. and luckily I caught it very quick. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's phenomenal. And um, yeah. but quantitative analysis of nutrition, I mean, we dived into this at, at Healthy Tech a fair bit. And yeah. the development of that energy balance equation, like we were chatting earlier, I said, yep. you know, that came from a, you know, sitting with now a consultant to the USOTC, JT Kearney, right. in, in an Outback Steakhouse in, in Colorado Springs. Yep. And I've got yep. a pen and paper and I can still <laughs> find that that um, drawing that I went home and put onto PowerPoint. I can still yep. find that online, which is pretty funny. But, uh, oh, but yeah, look, I mean, that was the beginning for me of a journey into uh, deep into nutrition, right? And yep. understanding the parameter sets of that. And I quickly realized that, quantitative analysis is one thing, but qualitative analysis is something yes, else. So absolutely. when you, st so when you start with an athlete, Bob, like looking yeah. at say, let's start with maybe macronutrient composition. Yeah. What do you do? Like uh, food recall data, have them keep a diary and look at that. Do you look at, try to match success of say personal best times with what were they eating at that mm -hmm. time to get that? Or do you go deeper and say, if, if necessary, hey, I'm going to do a gas exchange test. We're going to do a, right. you yeah. know, a, a treadmill protocol test or bike protocol test, depending yeah. on that athlete. How do you get yeah. started? How does someone start? What, yeah, it, it one, it kind of depends if they're local or not. So I'm here in Colorado, obviously. So I do all my physiological testing here, my metabolic efficiency testing. But, but to your point, to start with an athlete, I like working with athletes for at least a couple months. Because as you know, as a coach too, it's just like you don't really get to learn about them exactly. and get to know them truly. Um, mm -hmm. and, and granted, I don't always get my way with that, but I always have to start, you know, the basic forms, but I do, I need, I need a three day food log, but here's, mm -hmm. here's what I do. And I've, you know, I've been through the ringer and I've, you know, I've been doing this for quite a while. I only ask them three questions to keep on the log, what you're eating, when you're eating and why mm -hmm. you're eating it. Right. So, yeah. and it kind of throws them off. They're like, so you don't want to know how much I said, no, 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 that's coming later. Right. If I don't understand your behaviors first, we can't look at the quantitative, right? Because and that's that's this whole paradigm shift that one I'm trying to kind of maneuver in this in my field of sports nutrition and try to get other sport dietitians to really adopt that because yeah yes quantitative I mean you know this too I mean the quantitative and qualitative is like a great marriage right it really supports itself really well but you can't have one without the other right mm. so that said after we go through that process. I look for little red flags. I look for holes. I look for opportunities, basically, right? And that's where I start saying, okay, do I do the macro? Do we do the quantitative? Uh, do mm. we do we need some biomarker testing? Do we need some substrate yeah. oxidation testing? So that's where I kind of funnel it out. And it is, I'll tell you this too, Gary, it's not for me, even though I'm a high-performance sport dietitian, I look a lot at health, right? Because as you mm -hmm. know, if an athlete isn't healthy, they can't perform, right? So I've, I've actually talked some younger athletes 
into this where they're like, you know, they're bulletproof, you know, the 20, 30 year olds and like nothing's wrong, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, listen, but, but we need to look at your testosterone. We need to look at your different mm -hmm. hormone balances. We need to look at this stuff because it affects how your body recovers. It affects how your body sleeps it. Right. So it is more of a comprehensive, it's not a holistic approach. It's just making sure we're checking all the boxes. I, I oftentimes, I mean, a lot of times I'm the dietitian to say, well, how are you feeling? But more importantly, what is your, like if they use a power meter, I'm really big with power meters and, and running mm. metrics, which we'll talk about is a little tricky these days. But, you know, I, yeah. I ask about performance markers that are very quantitative, like what, mm. you know, if, if it's cycling, what is your FTP? What do you see on mm. these types of rides? Do you see it dropping? Do you see, right? And same thing with running. I mean, there's some power-based measures out there they haven't been that great um that we that we've tried to use as coaches but it's it's kind of looking at that whole person but i love it because when, when an athlete comes to me all they think is that i'm going to tell them what to eat and it's mm. it's it's nothing of the sort like it's it's that's probably five yeah. percent of the whole equation <laughs> yeah no it's amazing and um there's a term i used to use a fair bit uh you can't out train a bad diet Yes, I mean, you, that, yes. That part of the equation, you just can't do that. And yep. to start to, you know, kind of behavior modify an athlete yep. and start to drop that vernacular onto them and, and use that term fuel instead of food and right. try to tie those outputs together. For endurance athletes, uh, when I'm looking, when I, when I look downstream at that um, uh, from my vantage point, having run one marathon, I think you might have been oh, okay. in the, Background was that one we uh, with Steve Wilhite we did it oh, uh, healthy yeah, tech yeah, we yeah. ran a Paris marathon yeah. I said this is a funny thing Bob we did that I think in two thousand I think it was and I yeah. and, and Steve's like you're gonna run another marathon I said yeah as soon as I uh, can't remember the pain I had of the first one I'll run another one right exactly. and guess what it's uh, I still remember I got good memory <laughs> it still hurts right, right? you still remember so, the pain yeah so yeah I so I still I, I try to figure out for myself at that point in time how do I fuel appropriately yeah. and, you know it was yeah. changing like I was always a big you know kind of protein you know meat and potatoes kind of culture right. growing up how do you find like the transition like is for an endurance athlete, so first we've got macronutrient composition. We've got some yeah. micronutrient probably need relative to depending Absolutely. on the individual, right, and the data Absolutely. that you're aggregating from their assessments. Right. And then you've got timing. Let's talk about that a yeah. little bit. If if someone's planning to, say, couch to 5K, how yeah. important is nutrition going to be and how important is that nutrient timing going to be for somebody even at that level? Yeah, I'll tell you, couch to five. So, so I love that you quantified it a five k because mm. that's that was going to be yep. my question because it really is yep. based on the distance. Um, obviously, fitness level too. But if it's like a couch mm. to five k, listen, the only thing we usually look at is the daily nutrition plan, right? It's very, very seldom because five k. You're talking three point one miles. I mean, a beginner can do that. You could get eight to twelve weeks. You know hopefully yep. you know injury free if they do it right so there's not a lot to do with a nutrient timing protocol really with like a 5k maybe even 10k distance once you start getting in the half marathon that's when and it's and it's all based on energy availability right so our bodies mm. have depending on gender and size we've got about two hours worth of carbohydrate stores glycogen in our bodies right wow. so that's what gets my attention so when i work with an athlete mm. i say well how long are you training what is the mm -hmm. intensity? What are your goals, right? What is the distance? So couch to 5K, I think is is fairly, I hate to use the word easy whenever we talk yeah. about nutrition or training, but it's fairly easy because we just really maneuver their daily nutrition, which is breakfast, mm -hmm. lunch, dinner, and snacks. That's that's like yeah. the low-hanging fruit for sure. Got it. So, yeah. so go to the other end of the spectrum. So you've got an athlete training for a marathon who's world-class. 
I mean, uh, someone someone's coming in into there f- with you. Let's talk about that. Firstly, if you had ex- if you got examples of that, whether it's cycling, running, um, and people at that level who are really approaching nutrition for the first time, and what difference does yeah. that make to things like their personal best timing? Yeah, that so that is a deal breaker. Like it honestly mm-hmm. is. Nutrition is literally like we talk about it in the triathlon world as the fourth yeah. discipline. Like you cannot be successful without a good nutrition plan. You you can listen when you get to marathon distance at that level, yeah. you can't fake it. Like you, you literally cannot fake it, right? So I, I love I love the saying you have. I've got another saying just to drop that kind of kind of exuberates yeah. this. Love nutrition them. nutrition can make a good athlete great. It can also make a great athlete good. So if you really let yeah. that sink in, that's the wow. importance of fueling strategies and nutrient timing. Because you can take the best marathoner or anyone, any athlete in the world, and they can have a subpar nutrition plan, and they can completely either blow up or they can get tenth place. When you know, I mean, it, that's that's the importance of nutrition, right? Um, and and I've seen it happen in collegiate athletes and professional Olympic <laughs> athletes. Like, and and luckily, like the more professional athletes and Olympic athletes I'm talking to they are starting to get it. I would say even like 10, 15 years ago, it still wasn't really on the radar as much, but now it's becoming like this huge population that are actually acknowledging it now. Incredible. And let me ask you this, mate, on that too, fads, nutrition fads, whether it's, whether it's probably, yeah, we might be in that window of intermittent fasting. Uh, right, but let's right. let's cycle a few fads back because yeah. one of the things as a coach I would always do is yeah. I would try on that diet for size. Yeah. And my right. wife, Maureen, will tell you, keep me away from paleo because I'm a pain in the butt on that on that program, right? Exactly. Seeing, seeing, going from paleo to, you name it, to, to yeah. seeing all of a sudden one documentary come out about plant-based nutrition and athletes and everybody on me saying i gotta go plant-based it's like time out mad no yeah let's let's go goal dependent let's let's roll that back right so fads mate do your your athletes come to you and how do you how do you deal with that yeah i'll tell you uh jokingly that's what keeps me in business i mean honestly it's it's really? kind of shutting down all because there there are so many of them right it's not just the yeah. low carb anymore or the high sugar, whatever it is like it is mm. literally you've got paleo intermittent fasting you've got keto and nobody mm. really even knows what keto is because there's so many alterations to it like it is just nuts right now here's what i've been learning even probably over the past five six years number one biomarker test. So when I say biomarkers, I'm talking about blood work. I'm talking about hormones, that kind of thing. Biomarker testing is absolutely necessary for every single athlete. Not every single athlete will do it, but it's absolutely necessary. And here's why, because I actually learn about like their deficiencies, right? So I look at deficiencies Mm. to try to improve that. It's, it's the same thing like in strength and conditioning, we're looking at functional imbalances. So I guess you could call this functional imbalances in their nutrition, right? So what I have found is in, you know, people come to me with, you know, Hey, I want to do intermittent fasting. I'm like, well, you know, you're, you're, you're doing probably 12 hours anyway. Like you do realize that. Right. Oh. And they're like, yeah, I am right. right? <laughs> wow. That's shocking. Yeah, it's called break fast for a reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. But I, I do believe, so yes, every, literally Gary, there's not a day that goes by where I don't either dispel a myth, a point an athlete mm. in the right direction, do some biomarker testing to literally prove to them that they do have these functional imbalances and that maybe intermittent fasting or maybe paleo or keto isn't the plan for them. And 
I, I was just talking to an athlete yesterday who is an aero, aerospace engineer, right? So very mm. quantitative. And mm. she's like, she was asking me a whole bunch of quantitative questions. And I said, well, I can't really answer those before we have data, right? So we'll do some biomarker testing and she's all mm. over it, obviously, right? But that's that's kind of where I'm at in, in my career and what I'm trying to promote to other sport dietitians and certainly athletes is let's, I call it popping the hood, right? Let's pop mm. the hood. Let's get some metrics first. Let's do some substrate oxidation, metabolic efficiency testing. Let's, let's even, you know, if you work with a coach, let's look at the biomechanics because all of this affects the fueling strategy. So I, I do, I will, I will say this though. I know you're familiar with nutrition periodization. I, I know, you know, I created another concept called metabolic efficiency training, right? And it's funny because whenever I mention that, I always tell people there's not diet in a title, right? I don't mention the word diet. It's very rare that I will mention diet. Yeah. It's really about how do we best optimize blood sugar to, to regulate hormones. So, so mm. for example, if, if I've got a top marathoner and I've worked with, with a pretty top marathoner in the past, I won't mention his name, but you know, he's from mm. Kenya, right? And mm -hmm. their structure, their, their culture is a very high carbohydrate diet. So right. if I were to say, oh, we're going to, you know, ex athlete, I'm going to put you on a low carb, high fat diet. That would be preposterous, right? Absolutely yeah. ridiculous because I'm not using his genetics, his genomics, right? I'm not using that culture. And, you know, with something like that, we're looking at his engine is very different than maybe a U.S. American, uh, you know, male athlete marathoner engine. Like it's just because mm -hmm. we have to look at those different dynamics, but it's yeah. not until we do some testing, some biomarker testing. But listen, at the end of the day, it is really how we compare, how we put together foods to 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 elicit different blood sugar responses to optimize health, to optimize performance. Love it. And yeah. how how often do you get somebody saying to you, uh, "Just give me a diet"? Oh, just give me the plan every three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, well, one size does fit all. It's like you know, it's like I hang know, on a um, I know. It, it brings up a really good point too because I recall. Uh, Designing a conference for personal trainers. This is back, yeah. I want to say, 98, 2000, somewhere in there. And yeah. the hot topic for personal trainers was nutrition. Well, brings up a couple of things. Firstly, every personal trainer thinks he, he or she is a nutritionist. Right, right, right. I used to tell my wife, who was in a sea of uh, personal trainers operating as a nutritionist, so they're giving out nutritional advice. Why Absolutely. don't you go on the floor and start telling people how to do a lat pull down? Yes. And see what yes, they do, right? Exactly. It's like, hang on, let's, let's defer the qualification to where it needs to be, firstly. <laughs> Right. But the other thing, the other thing you brought up there was the cultural variation, and yes. um, that you would have to extract from biomarker data. And I recall in that conference that I was designing, we had a nutrition panel, mm -hmm. and I had five nutritionists at the time who were fairly well uh, respected. I think it was, you know, I won't go down through the names, but one guy yeah. stood out to me. It was a kind of a backstage conversation I was having with him. Was Scott Conley, the founder uh -huh. of Metrics, the supplement yep. company? Yep, yep. And he said to me. This he said, you know what? Culturally, he said, Gary he goes, if you know, I, he goes, I've got to look back genetically almost at the athletes and where they're coming from themselves. He goes, because if they, if their DNA is kind of that that um, uh, north or south, you know, near one of the polar caps where uh, you, they their kind of ancestors grew up huddling right. behind the rock. All of a sudden, they jump up, anaerobic burst, you know, grab the pig, mm -hmm. break it down, eat that, go huddle behind the rock for warmth again. He goes, I was more into the uh, anaerobic kind of protein-based diet right. plan is probably regulated 
I'll start yeah. there for them. This is probably prior to the days we could do biomarker testing. And Absolutely. the same was kind of same was sitting for equatorial uh, cultures as well. To your point, mm-hmm. I mean it's it's long slow movement to try to find water or to try to find the next food source, right? Exactly. If we go back, right? Exactly. So all of a sudden you've got those genetic genetic variations. But yeah. um, but bio the biomarker work you do um, are there similarities? Is it is is everyone so different that you've got oh. to start from scratch? How does it it's- work? It's amazing. I mean, I've got kind of a standard biomarker panel just from a blood work standpoint for yep. most endurance athletes I work with. Right. Uh, depending on health history, I'll, I'll get some some more technical kind of deep down uh, biomarkers in terms of heart heart related disorders and, and biomarkers. Mm. But um, it is definitely N of one. Like I, I actually if, if you if you're not aware of this, but new, there's a there's a kind of growing trend in the nutrition field right now called nutra genomics. So it's basically how mm. nutrition interacts with different genes and gene pathways. So you can actually like certain mm. foods, this is, it's fascinating. I've been learning about this for the past yeah. five years now. You have yeah. certain foods. It, it's almost like a dimmer switch on a light, right? So certain foods will, will increase the inflammatory pathway or oxidation pathway and certain foods will decrease the inflammation or oxidation pathway. So we're getting into this a little bit more. That That is definitely N of one. Like from wow. a biomarker yeah. standpoint, it's amazing. Like, I mean, the standard things, you look at iron and B12 and folate metabolism. Yeah, that's that's way different for most people. But that's like, you still have ranges with that, right? Like athletic mm. ranges. Mm. With yeah. the genomics, this nutrigenomics, because it's still in its infancy, they're not technically ranges. Like I know with mine, because I've had mine done before, uh, and, and it's great because actually nutrigenomics, it's a one and done test because your genes don't change, right? So you have mm. this done mm. once and then mm. you can start affecting your nutrition based on that. But I know wow. like with me, I've got these, what are called... In, in layman's terms, we call them spelling errors on genes. And I have a spelling error mm-hmm. on my vitamin D pathway. So I have to actually personally, even though I'm in Colorado, it's sunny, what, mm. 300 plus days a year. I yeah. have to supplement with vitamin D quite aggressively because I have a spelling error on this pathway that limits my body's ability to make vitamin D. Wow. So that allows wow. me like as a practitioner to dive in and say, cause I'm not a big pill pusher unless we find right. deficiencies, right? I try mm, to do it mm. from food first, but sometimes you just can't, right? So we, right. we look at omega-3s, so we, we look at vitamin D, we look at folate pathways, all like iron and everything. And I'm finding huge functional imbalances. And mm. the only reason we're finding it is because we're testing for it. And it's, right. it's kind of that aha moment for athletes because once I find this and we correct it, you know, six, 10, 12 weeks later, we correct it through food and maybe some supplements. The athlete, it's like a different athlete, Gary. They're like, I feel so good. Like I'm recovering faster. I'm, my, I'm hitting my metrics in my training finally. You know, I don't feel like I need yeah. to sleep all day long. So it's like, I love that as a practitioner because we actually get yeah. to use quantitative metrics to affect real life, right? Yeah, it's kind of like you're looking at if if we were designing maps or areas, it's kind of like the topography of that athlete. It right? absolutely I mean, it what is. Are, what do they look like, and then yep. how do I chart a course for their best success? And how exactly. do we? How do you fill the gaps? How do you how do you level the holes? So how do you look forward and then go? Uh, okay, you're planning on this um, power burst during this race, right. and therefore we need to do X, Y, and Z prior exactly. to the race. So. It, yeah. it it to me it's it's science right it just it's, it, it's, it's a scientific is. method and and, yep. and yep. that to me is the is, is the key to that success but tell me about this one of the things like um and being in a sport tech company uh, at kinetics 
Yeah. We look at just about every kind of wearable out there. And I've been involved right. with a number of companies, consulted to some, worked for some. And yeah. I'm always looking at data coming off. One of the things that I noticed, and we had a good chat the other day with uh, outside CEO Robin Thurston uh-huh. around yeah. a product. He's kind of trialing right now um, as part of a, um, what's the word I'll use, as part of a clinical study. Um, mm. He's looking at this product called uh, Super Sapiens. Now, mm-hmm. this is a patch-worn device that kind yep. of breaks the skin, gets in, and starts to look at glucose. Now, yep. there are glucose levels in that athlete, but there's yep. also a number of companies coming to market that are that are claiming to get that same data from surface only, which non-invasive, great, if it's accurate, right? Right, so right, So there's, right. there's, a, there's a ring coming out of Australia that's got a yep. glucose monitoring system on it. Yeah. Let's talk about tech and wearables. Um, yeah. Have you found anything that you say for outside of, say, a power meter, which is looking at so many right. different elements on a bike or, or anything like that, but right. has it been a wearable? Um, yeah other than a quantitative wearable that you've been able to say, look back and say, you know, that's kind of transformative data because I can align nutritional strategies against that data. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you'd like um, that, you've, that yeah. you've seen and used? I think, you know, back to the, the HRV, you know, you mentioned the, the, yeah. the whoop previously. Mm-hmm. I, we know yep. there's still a lot of error there, but I'll tell you what, for, mm-hmm. for some of the athletes I work with who have HRV recording devices or if they do a chest yeah. strap with their, their phone or whatever, it, while it's not 100% accurate, it is very enlightening for the athlete to manage mm-hmm. stress level, right? So, wow. so stress can be training stress. It could be food stress. It could be emotional mm-hmm. stress, right? So that has helped even – but I, I don't give it – you know, I don't, I don't give it an A plus on the scale. I use it mm-hmm. definitely, but it's part of the equation when I coach an athlete. Mm-hmm. I will tell you this though, since you were on the CGM, the continuous glucose monitor, mm-hmm. I, I tell you what, I got my hands on one for four weeks, a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. I Rock. wore it, you know, it's, it's very similar to, to the one you mentioned. Um, it, it was a different company that just let me trial it. That mm-hmm. it. And I'll, I mean, Gary, I've been doing this for almost a quarter of a century, right? Yeah. That yeah. changed the way I approached food personally as a sport oh, wow. dietitian. Like it was a game, like a total game changer. So I wore it, you know, right behind my arm, back of the tricep, you know, had the app. Like I was my wife, I was driving my wife crazy because I would <laughs> literally eat something and I'd be like, okay, watch my glucose, watch what's happening. Cause it's real time, right? It's absolutely, and it's, yeah. it's. So, so here's the thing to customize nutrition for an athlete. I mm. feel that a CGM is a, ne- is a necessary piece of technology that we'll, that we'll look at in the future for sure. Because here's the thing, like you're going to respond differently to, you know, that sandwich that I'm going to respond differently to, or, mm. but as a sport dietitian, it allows me to say, Gary, instead of, you know, having two slices of Turkey, maybe have five slices of Turkey on it. Let's see what happens to your, you know, and, and it's, so it's so powerful, even for those, I mean, traditionally CGMs have been used for, for people with diabetes, right? But we're right. going to see this huge i guarantee it huge influx in the sports market um actually i just there was a story in colorado unfortunately a 16 year old swimmer uh down colorado springs was competing at state and he got disqualified right because 16 year old because he was wearing a cgm on his arm and the the kid has type 1 diabetes for goodness sake right i mean right so but but my point is we're gonna see more and more of these wearables I don't know, like I can't speak to like the ring and I, I've heard like Apple Watch yeah. is going to look at uh, glucose monitoring soon. Mm. I can't speak to that accuracy, but I will tell you the efficacy of CGMs, it's going to blow up the way we approach nutrition here probably in the next wow. few years. I guarantee it. <clears throat> so that could 
functionally change when I look at the course of that continuous monitoring, right? That in race, that kind of could alter the supplement strategy or the timing strategy continuously. Huge, huge. I know of a couple professional Ironman athletes that have been experimenting with with it during racing, right? In Ironman. And they're literally looking at that, you know, that metric as they're they're riding mostly and they're able to fuel. Like, so their dietitians have Mm -hmm. helped them kind of that fueling strategy uh, based on their training metrics also. So it will, it's a total game changer, like total game changer. It'll probably, it'll, it'll, well, it's like any physiological testing if you think about it, right? But that's just like in field testing, which is Mm -hmm. actually what we need more of. I mean, lab testing is great. Don't get me wrong. I do lab testing, yes. But when you get field testing in an athlete's environment, that is make or break. Like that is golden right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's exactly where we're at with kinetics. We realize yeah. that, you know, it's in situ or in field where we need yes. that data coming from so we can apply it correctly. So I can I can see a day where our force production algorithm uh, in a endurance runner like seeing increases decreases in force production and looking against that fuel gauge if we wanted to call it that at some point in time how we could uh, potentially manipulate that i mean there's a future hopefully based on data but then decisions are made hopefully human intuitively too because at the end of the day right yeah let's let's do this because i don't think our listeners will know this so let's take your coach hat off Let's yeah. put your athlete hat on. Yeah. Mate, Led yeah. Leadville, tell me about Yeah. Tell me tell our listeners about the distance, your training. Yeah. You're you're a lead man. And I want you to yeah. tell me a little bit about that because anybody who's in who who knows anything about endurance is gonna go, Oh wow. Yeah. Training for that, what was your motivation? How do you approach that uh, for yeah. yourself personally? Yeah, it was a it was an interesting one for sure. Let me let me give you the backstory first so everyone understands. Yeah. So I grew up as a competitive mm. soccer player, right? Amer- uh, you know, That's soccer, right. Uh, and and loved it to death. So very and in, in, in your mind, in my mind, with the coaching hat on, we're thinking anaerobic, right? I mm. I am extremely fast twitch dominant. Like let's just set mm. that up. Love yep. sprinting. I could outrun anybody. You know, I mean that's the thing. When I was in college, I got dared to do my first triathlon, sprint triathlon. Mm. I didn't really know how to swim. I had no idea. Actually, I didn't even know what a triathlon was, but a buddy dared me. I'm I'm highly competitive, so of course I'm going to take that dare. Uh, you yeah. know, finished close to dead last, it, but I loved it because I was like, yeah. whoa, I can get better at this. So I, it's just mm. important to understand, like, I've gravitated to a very fast twitch muscle fiber to try to try to do my best at endurance. But what I did was I started after my triathlon introduction in, in, in undergrad, I started looking at, okay, I need a challenge, right? I absolutely need to do something. So I started training for Ironman triathlons. And and this is going to sound really weird, but some of your listeners are going to understand after what, six Ironmans, I got like literally, and it's not to say anything about me, but I got bored. I'm like, it's the same thing over and over. Like I love the sport to death. Don't get me wrong, but I yeah. needed something different. I'm in Colorado. Leadville is literally less than two hours away. Back then, like my first Leadville, I've done it a few times. My first Leadville was was actually right before I went to Florida, um, 2006. Mm. And it was just, you know, it was easy for me to train because here I am in the mountains and, and it's there. Yeah. 
that was an eye-opener. Like my first Leadville run, and, and let me just back up. So the Leadville is a hundred mile. Well, they have a lot of different races, but you know, you always have to start with the hundred mile because that's the, that's the big, the big one. So it's a hundred mile run. Uh, you know, starting altitude is 10,200 feet in Leadville. You go up to just over uh, 12,000 feet. You know, it's an out and back course. And really, I, you know, I coach people with this all the time, but I tell them it like Leadville, the course isn't hard. Yeah, there's a lot of elevation gain and drop. It's the friggin' altitude, right? That's what gets yeah. everybody. So, right. so after my first one, you know, I went to Florida, you know, with the Gators for a while, came back home. Then I decided, oh, I need another challenge. Oh, what's this lead man? So, this was 2009. I've got a lot of loose screws in my mind, but but honestly, I think it's just being an athlete. Like I wanted that next level, right? So the Leadman was a, it is a series of you start out with a marathon, and this is all in Leadville, ten thousand feet and above, right? So we did a marathon. Then a couple weeks later, there's a fifty mile bike ride on uh, no, I'm sorry, fifty mile run on Saturday, fifty mile bike mountain bike ride on Sunday. Really, you know, harsh terrain. Then a few weeks later, you've got a hundred mile mountain bike. Then the next day, you've got a ten k run, and then a week later you've got the 100 mile run. So within seven weeks, you've got a marathon run, you've got a 10K run, you've got a 100 mile run, you've got a 50 mile mountain bike and a 100 mile mountain bike, right? I'll tell you, I didn't do anything else that summer. Like it was all like recover, trying to yeah. recover. But you know, yeah. it was like for me, like spiritually being out on in on the trails and nature like that's my mm. thing that's 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 mm. my my way of just connecting so the mm. training i'm not going to say it was easy like i would like gear i would put in i think my longest run was like 32 miles um it's and granted this was when i was younger so i actually recovered a lot faster but you know i would be out i, I would ride you know 60 to 80 mile mountain bike rides i would do like literally do i, I didn't feel warmed up for running until i hit like mm. 10 miles like literally i got to that point where the first 10 miles i was like ah still not feeling good because my mm. normal runs would be like 15 to 25 miles right so right. If you think of that, like it excites me to, to talk about it because, oh, because mm. I actually might try to do something crazy like this again um, and it. actually come down your way uh, next year. Yeah. There's actually a, a race called Cocodona 250. So I'm, oh, I'm yeah, already, yeah. I, yeah. Wow. So I've, okay. I've, I've entered that. I'm going to, I'm going to try it with an athlete that I, that I work with, but it's a 250 mile trail race, right? Um, yeah. Maybe we don't call it a race because it's like a five day event, but anyway, Survival. I mean, it's survival, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so led me. I'll tell you what, though. Like, it was it was fantastic, such an accomplishment doing it. But as a as an athlete, I learned a lot about my body's limits. Uh, mm -hmm. That being, I didn't have many, and and mm -hmm. truly, I don't believe we do have many physical limitations unless you have an injury, right? Then I I totally get mm -hmm. it. Uh, there are some nutritional limits for sure, and I believe the mental limit is mostly driven from the physical thought of a limitation. But again, it's just that thought; it's just the mental process. Because and you, well, you've been the yeah. same place. Yeah. Well, exactly. And thank you for touching on this because I want to go back at the start of that narrative on your journey as an athlete. You said something yeah. that is critically, I believe, in my experience, uncommon, and that is. I wasn't good at this, being the triathlon. Mm -hmm. This is something I can get better at. I see 99% yep. of athletes, especially young athletes, I'm totally. not good at this. I'm not getting the trophy right away. I am yep. shying away from this, right? Exactly. So rate limiting capacity, and it yes. brings into discussion...
you know, recently, you know, picking up um, Alex Hutchinson's book Endure. And right, a couple right. of us inside of Kinetics read that and kind of was like these old wow moments. It took yeah. me back to the 1999 ACSM conference that I was at yeah. where this central governor theory was repostured and brought through. And mm-hmm. I started using that. I recalled that and started using elements of that in training baseball players and hacking things like how to throw a baseball faster, right? Yes. So yes. even even in that like central governor theory, and I think you touched on it here, um, I, I've often said, you know, most, you know, well, let's do this. Capacity on an athlete. Athlete capacity. Where does... Is that visualized first that I have a ceiling? Is it? Does it come through from some sense of, say, pain and feedback that you don't have the ability to work through that process? Um, give me your thoughts on that because I think that's... Especially when we're talking about endurance of like a hundred miles in a in a Leadville race or the two fifty that you're planning, right? right. Where, um, what's going to be the rate limiting factor? Is it yeah. mind first? Is it body first? Is it fuel first? Yeah. Well, yeah. So they all interact. I think it's very difficult mm. to prioritize, but I will say biasly. Mm. I do not believe we have physical limitations. I really do not. Um, I think a lot of athletes have shown us that. You look at the Paralympic world, you look at every, like there are very few physical limitations. There are nutritional limitations, but but listen, besides hydration, like you can mess up a fueling strategy, but as long as you're staying hydrated, you're gonna stay alive. Like let's put it that right. way, right? I truly mm. believe the one rate limiting step that holds everyone back is is re- literally between your ears, right? It is literally mm-hmm. the mental component because, in you know, I coach junior triathletes and I've seen the same mm-hmm. thing in young athletes, like you were saying, mm-hmm. if they're not good at something first, they will move on to the next thing. I don't believe that's a central governor theory thing. I believe there's a little bit more how they grow up, the socialization, everything. Right. But I do, I do not believe that there are limitations on athletes. From a mental standpoint, you can train that. We know we can in physical and nutritional. But I I do believe it is a mental, I I think the mental holds back athletes and mostly because what I've been learning and mostly it's because of confidence, to be honest with you. And I don't know, and again, I work with a lot of young athletes too. And it's it's instilling that confidence and teaching them, even probably like the young baseball players you worked with is they just haven't been on this earth long enough to be yeah. able to to really process all of the the confidence builders, but you know, kind of their self worth also, and I think mm. that spills over. That's why we see a lot of in endurance, we see a lot of the more successful athletes as they age, right? So we're talking thirty right. and forty year olds, and even fifty and plus. That's mm. when they're becoming more successful. And mm. and listen, what happens when we age? Biology takes takes hold, right? So we know recovery wow. decreases, sarcopenias. I mean, everything is just crushing down on us. But why are these males and females getting better? I believe because they're getting better mentally um, and, and they're learning how to really govern their their mind in terms of, of you know, doing a 250 mile race or whatever. Like they're they're just more withstanding and more resilient. Yeah. It always amazes me to hear somebody's um, yeah, professional in our industry talk about the mind body connection. And I always stand back and go, well, hang on a minute. When were they disconnected that we have exactly. to discuss Exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> They're never disconnected. Yeah. 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 And so I use I use a chart sometimes with coaches and I say, look, I think all decisions, the framework of this is, is emotions, 
right, yes. is the foundation. Then it's cognitive. Then it's kind of the physical systems. And it's technical, tactical, strategic in that kind Absolutely. of flow. Absolutely. At the end of that strategy, there's going to be an outcome. And that will feed back into the emotional side. And away we go. There's that yes. continual build or that continual fail, failure, if you want to use that term, exactly. right? I always try to put it into the concept of it's not failure, it's feedback. So how yes. are you going to process that feedback? So, yes. yeah, the mind... You know, it's kind of starts there and I guess it starts there nutritionally as well, because I mean, yeah. that same profile and I, you know, I, I try to look at every single athlete I work with through like childlike eyes, through fresh yeah. eyes. I've got to approach yeah. it and leave my own biases aside and, and, and try yeah. to approach from with, with what they're presenting with and what data do I have on them. Right. So yes. Yes. at that point in time, um, it gets to a point there's some people I kind of bucket those ones and you listen for it in the words that they use in their body yeah. language and the things that aren't when things aren't going well, you can see it. And the trickle-down effect, it's kind of spirals. For me, for some of the athletes I do, it's spiraled into nutrition. Next thing you know, they're at the fast food drive-thru. Exactly. You know? It's like trying exactly. to fill some emotional hole th- right. through food. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's that. It's like the operating system on a computer. Right, yeah. we've got this operating yeah. system, and, and and tapping in and understanding is it is it Windows or it is is it iOS? Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of what you try to do with biomarkers, and then the evaluation of the athlete that's presented in front of you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I would just hope that athletes realize that this, this is a complex system. Like our body is a complex system and we're Mm. really trying to gain as much information from it as possible to be able to give them a good prescription, be it, be it mental, be it nutritional, be it physical, whatever it is. And, and, and unfortunately I just think a lot of athletes want that quick fix. Like remember what you said Mm. earlier is how many athletes just want you to tell them to put them on a diet or tell them what to eat. Right. that's 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 so far in the future that we need to follow mm. about a hundred steps be, or go through a hundred steps before we can even answer that question. Like it's it's funny because per, proverbially I'm the I'm the sport dietitian that when an athlete comes to me to get a question answered, I always ask them questions, right? So I I usually yeah. don't answer their question for a few minutes, and they're like, "Can you just answer my question?" Well, I, and I say. Well, I can't do that yet, right? Because yeah. I don't have all the information. <laughs> right. And, and it's part yeah. of that evolutionary process in coaching. I'll, I'll say the same thing to an athlete. Yeah. I'll say, look, can, can you answer these questions? I go, probably not, but I'll give you the ability to ask better questions. Yes. Right? That's yes. what I'm trying to do, right? Exactly. Is, is educate exactly. that mindset through there. So how hard is it to get good food? Uh, it, <laughs> it's very difficult, right? It, it's difficult, and here's why. Because the mental part of choosing food, that mm. that in the psychological piece of it, so how we grew up, what culture, what mom and dad did, um, our socioeconomic status, good food, like, and, and when you say good, it's kind of, kind of, I mean, when you say, like, I would think of good food as as nutrient dense foods, right? So the right ones food. that have it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I mean, you can find it, you're going to pay a little bit more for it, right? But you can find it. But here's the thing a lot of individuals just don't know what to look for because how they grew up. And that's what I actually encounter. That's a huge obstacle in, in my nutrition mm. coaching business because that's what I'm trying to help them overcome. You know, they might mm. say, oh yeah, we want to do grass-fed beef. We've heard that, but I, you know, I can't afford it or why would I do, you know, there, so there are all these obstacles before actually yeah. going to the store to get grass-fed beef. Where, where you yep. think it would just be easy to say, Gary, put grass-fed beef in your in your grocery cart. Mm. And th- mm. but there's a block there somewhere because they yeah. haven't so it's it's all a behavior modification strategy. 
Yeah, yeah. no, it makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, yeah. My wife Maureen was very, I was fortunate to have access to her when I was in Taiwan trying to figure yeah. out how, why aren't these athletes recovering and then squatting yes. down and eating eating out of a food box with chopsticks in this dugout. I looked around and yes. I thought, I'm with these guys three meals a day. I don't see a lot of protein here. Yeah, exactly. So my very first step was try to go and figure out protein supplementation. Yeah, supplements yep. were something they weren't even used to having. Oh, so wow. how do you get a how do you get a protein drink to <sighs> work with a palate of somebody in Taiwan? That, those exactly. were really challenging days, but it made um, it made all the difference in the world at the end of oh, that absolutely. from a not only recoverability standpoint but also yeah. an injury prevention standpoint. So right. let's talk about food stay on this a little bit because you have your own line of foods and i've been fortunate to try your oatmeal which i think is best oatmeal i've ever had by the way phenomenal stuff tell me about burrata let's dive into that a little bit tell me how did that come about and um and and where is it at if you would have hit me up 10 years ago and said, hey, Bob, because a lot of people did, they say, you should you should develop a food line, some food products. I'm like, mm. no, that's crazy. Like, I'm a, I'm a sport dietitian. Why would I create mm. a food? Like, I, I counsel athletes. Yeah. That's what I do. Here, So here's the thing. And since since we've last talked, I've actually created another food company too, right, um, called wow. All Around Snack Company. So I'll, I'll tell you. So I've got so – so Baroda Foods came to fruition in 2016 – all around mm. snack company was was a covid company right so 20 2020 mm. um, but yeah. but here's the thing so one was created out of innovation and that's baroda foods the mm. other was created out of frustration and that's all around snack company right so I'll, let me go back to the baroda mm. food so quick backstory i was out on a bike ride it was probably 2015 uh, it was in the winter in Colorado. Storm came. You know, usually we can ride year round here in Colorado. So I was on the road. Storm came in. I'm freezing my you know what off. I'm trying to get home as fast as possible. And all I can think about is how do I get warm? I grew up in the mountains in Colorado. Mm. Uh, yeah. Hot cocoa was a staple, right? Uh, it yeah. was just like, that's your comfort food. Hot cocoa yep. with a ton of sugar with marshmallows. So that that's the first thing I thought of like, wow, how do I get warm? But then I was like, well, I don't want sugar, right? Because that's going to just do a whole bunch of bad things in my body. I don't want marshmallows. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, how can mm-hmm. I make a good cocoa? So fast forward, Baroda Foods was actually, you know, it was born on a bike because I was on my bike and this is what has happened. I found a great business partner who's also a diet sport dietitian. She's also a chef, a food scientist. So oh, wow. kind of the pieces of the yeah. puzzle that I wasn't. But basically the innovation is this. I wanted a cocoa and this is where it started. I wanted a cocoa that had functional abilities, right? Mm. The mainstay of all of our products is we put caprylic acid, which is one of the four medium chain triglycerides in it. So caprylic acid stabilizes blood sugar. It crosses the blood brain barrier. It helps stabilize brain functioning, improves brain cognitive functioning, everything, right? It's just, it's fantastic. So that was the really the the innovation. We also put Mm. D-ribose, which is a five carbon sugar instead of a six carbon sugar. So D-ribose actually decreases blood sugar. Um, They actually tell people with diabetes to be careful with that Uh, but Mm. but basically that's the innovation it's not like a cocoa that just dumps some sugar and you know cocoa red cocoa it's like we're Mm. putting these functional ingredients to elicit good blood sugar control because remember what i talked about earlier i'm all about optimizing blood sugar so that was that was the cornerstone then then we created a creamer then we created the note meal that that you were talking about that is all plant-based uh it's no it's not allergens there's actually no Mm. oats that's what we call it Mm. no you know note meal because it's no no oatmeal um, but it has caprylic acid. It has D-ribo. So, so that is, we're just trying to create this innovative functional category, if you will. 
so it's it's fantastic. We've had some 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 great uh, experiences with athletes, with individuals. Um, the other company I created, All Around Snack Company, I was saying was out of frustration. So mm-hmm. locally, I work with the University of Denver women's gymnastics team. Right, I'm their sport Excellent. dietitian. This is year three. Yeah. And what I found was, you know, obviously we know there are some there are some challenges when it comes to feeding any athlete, especially yeah, female gymnasts. Especially gymnasts. Right? gymnasts. Oh my god! Yeah, 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 right. And I was I was looking at that. I'm like, okay. And I was noticing their snack patterns. Like number one, they mm. don't really snack a lot, and if they do, it's super high sugar. It's not mm. great for a D1 student athlete. I mean, right. And so I was looking at their snacking, and I was like, okay, how can I make this better? And I would look for a trail mix. I would look for anything in the store. But then you then you have you know mixes with dyes. You have high sugar. You have preservatives. Yeah. All these all these crap, right? I'm like, I'm, I wouldn't give this to my kids. Like, why would I recommend this to my athletes, oh. right? So this was the frustration. There was nothing in that. Even though like the whole snacking is a huge market. I just basically said, I don't care. I'm going to create my, like, what do I want to accomplish? I want one with a, I wanted a complete protein source, not just plant-based, right? I wanted one with super high omega-3s, anti-inflammatory fats, high antioxidants, and low sugar. Like those were my, my, my functional things. Wow. And then yeah. I just built it from there. So I've yeah. got four flavors. It's my gourmet snack mix. I've got four flavors, okay. but here's, here's the thing you're going to appreciate because you and I speak the same language when it comes to yeah. protein. Mm. I'm 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 totally fine with plant based. I love plant based. I was a vegetarian for ten years. I totally get mm. it. But when it comes to athletes, like I, the thing that sets my snack mix apart is that I actually include these whey protein puffs. They look like little cereal bites, right? Wow. One hundred percent whey protein isolate. Oh, wow. Huge yeah. amount of leucine, and as you know, but just mm. to remind the the listeners, leucine mm. independently is the amino acid that triggers muscle protein synthesis. So now yeah. all of a sudden, I've got almonds and walnuts, great plant source based of protein, combined with whey protein isolate puffs that I actually wow. coat. Depending on the flavor, I coat a little bit with honey and cinnamon because mm. interestingly enough, honey and cinnamon trigger certain genes to reduce inflammation. That's just a, 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 a off, Holy off, the, cow. off the cuff. Yeah. yeah. So now I've wow. got this huge functionally good snack mix that, I mean, literally I created for this gymnastics team. Now, the reason, actually the reason I went to market, I'll just say this quickly. The first flavor I created was called dark chocolate and tart cherries. Mm. So, and I, like my ingredients, like even the dark chocolate, Gary, like I looked at it's 72% organic dark chocolate, but here's the thing. Like I needed, I didn't want soy lecithin. So look next time you're in the grocery store, look at all the chocolate bars. Every single one of them will have soy lecithin. I wanted sunflower Mm. lecithin because it's not chemically extruded from the sunflower. Right. So like, that's the level of detail I'm looking at with my ingredients. But the reason I brought this to market and I'll tell you is because my daughter, actually liked the snack mix and my daughter is probably the pickiest of the pickiest right um so that was like that was my aha moment like i've got something she likes it it's functional then i started giving it to my gymnast they're like wow this is amazing and now i have a snack mix that number one i i feel good feeding to my family number two my gymnasts are actually eating it so here's the thing We're, we're improving the the nutritional status of a student athlete and number three it just Tastes really good. So that's kind of what I've been doing in the food market lately. (laughs) Unbelievable. So um, I guess a question our listeners can ask themselves is, is your, and I won't use the word diet, is is your fueling strategy functional? 
would be a great question to start with. So, Bob, exactly. where can our listeners where can our listeners find out more about both the food line, the snack yeah. line, and more yeah. about you? Tell us yeah, where to so, find more out more. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty easy to find on on anywhere. Uh, Facebook, Google, uh, you can Google my name. But but my nutrition coaching business is called Energy Performance. E N R G Performance dot com. That's where I do my biomarker testing, physiological testing, all nutrition coaching, endurance coaching. Uh, Baroda Foods is my functional cocoa creamer note meal. So that is um, B I R O T A Foods dot com. Interestingly enough, the word Baroda is Greek uh, for bicycle, right? So that's oh, I love it. Lat- yeah. I'm sorry, lat- Latin for bicycle because it was born Excellent. on a bike, right? So, uh, so wow. that's Baroda Foods. And Great then story. All ar- yeah, yeah, all around snackco.com. So all around snackcompany.com. Fantastic. Yeah. Bob, it's been spectacular to catch up with you, mate. And um, what's what's next for you? Is there something oh, on the got, horizon that we need I've to got, know about? I've got so many, so many things brewing right now. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to jump the gun just yet, uh, but okay. there, you know, ch- let's check back in about six to eight months. I, I should have some some good projects coming to back to fruition here. Well, I'll tell you what, when you get to Arizona for that 250 mile race, you've got a built in um, support team and oh, a built in place to stay. So thank just let you. us know. I will definitely uh, call you up. Absolutely. That'll be fun catching up again. Uh, be awesome, buddy. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. And um, yeah, let's uh, keep in touch. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Human Kinosome Project. Our music is provided by the incredibly talented Joanna Magic. I hope you'll join our community at discord.gg slash kinetics. Team, the game is just beginning.